Hello, Flash Forward patrons. I'm back with another bonus interview, once again from season one. This is my conversation with Anne Leckie. When we spoke, Anne was the author of Ancillary Justice, a fantastic book about space and identity and... It's one of those books that's kind of hard to describe to people, but you should just read it. It's really good. By now, she's the author of two more books in that trilogy, Ancillary Sword and Ancillary Mercy, which you should also check out. I talked to Anne for season one, episode 21, about a future where gender doesn't matter anymore. If you missed the episode, you can go back and listen to it on your podcasting app, or you can find it on flashforwardpod.com. The episode was called Bye Bye Binary, if you want to search for it. As always, if there is someone that I had on the show that you'd like to hear more from, send me an email at info at flashforwardpod.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you so much for being patrons. Without you, this show would not exist. Okay, here's me and Anne. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little bit sniffly, so you'll have to excuse my snuffling over here. Um, I'm just getting over a cold, but... Um all good on this end all righty well i'm sorry about to hear about the cold colds are no fun <laughs> yeah yeah it's fine i uh you know the weather changed here and i think it's just sort of that early fall kind of like oh right now it's time to get a little sniffly mm-hmm. um but yeah um well i'm really excited to talk to you i was actually just rereading a couple of things um uh, including the the post that you uh, wrote for Orbit about sort of choosing uh, gender, like the gender pronouns that you chose for ancillary justice. Um, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you about it because I think uh, it's really uh, relevant to what we're talking about for the future. And I'll give you my spiel first about like okay. the show and what this will be like. Um, so basically every episode of the show, we travel to um, a specific future. Um, and we've done everything from really far out there stuff like um, space pirates drag a second moon to Earth and like what happens if Earth has a second moon. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, things like the Earth stops rotating around the sun, falls into the sun. You know, how does that go? Like how, what actually happens? And, and we also do things that are really realistic. So we did an episode about um, antibiotic resistance when antibiotics stop working. Um, we did an episode about drones and sort of what happens when lots of people have drones. How do we think about that? So it sort of ranges from really crazy, never going to happen stuff to things that are more likely. And it also, I try to do things that are not just sort of technology futures, but also like cultural futures and sort of policy futures and stuff like that. So we've done, um, I did an episode where contact sports were banned because of uh, concerns over head injury and kind of how that changes. Um, And then I I did an episode about um, what happens if all um, weapons are banned and you can only fight hand to hand. Like how does that change sort of power? And so it sort of ranges from sort of the, the, you know, higher tech stuff like last week's episode was, or this week's episode was about invisibility cloaks and like what would, you know, what would it be like to have them and how would they be made? But also I like to throw in things that are um, sort of more social and cultural. Um, not that technology isn't either of those things, right, but, uh, yeah, but... but like to kind of focus a little bit less on the actual mechanics of a thing and more on kind of what cultural changes might happen. So that's why I'm really excited to talk to you about this. In this future, the, the way that I'm tackling it is, um, and I've talked to two other people for it already. One of them is Meredith Talusan, who's a, a trans woman who writes for BuzzFeed. Um, mm-hmm. And the other one is Lori Essig, who um, is a scholar and sociologist who is doing a project on um, the quote, quote unquote, the end of gender, sort of like what happens when we don't have gender anymore. Um, and the premise of this is this future, just to get specific and sort of set the stage here, is that it's not that we are all the same gender or we don't have gender anymore. It's that um, 
it doesn't really matter that much. It's sort of like being like left-handed. It's like yeah. sort of, it exists, you know, people are certain ways and they have certain identities, but it's not the first thing in your mind. It's not really important. So it's kind of similar to, um, I'm going to pronounce this terribly wrong. Uh, Rad, Radkai? The Radchai? Radchai. Okay. So similar, like in the sense that, it, you know, it's, it just isn't really that important. Um, but it still exists. So I'm, I'm just like, cause there's a, I don't want to get into sort of like, you know, people saying like, well, will genitalia still be? It's like, it is, like these sorts of different things are, are all existing and, you know, you can identify as a man or a woman and all of that, but it just isn't, you know, the primary way that you identify or mm-hmm. in your first three, like, you know, terms of, of identity. Um, and so that's why I was really excited to talk to you, especially when it comes to sort of a, the, the pronoun question and kind of like how we think about the importance of gender and all that stuff for the book. Um, the way that the episodes all work is that at the beginning of the episode, I do a little like three minute, like War of the World style, like audio drama trip to the future. So sometimes that comes in the form of like fake advertisements. Sometimes it's sort of for future NPR report kind of things. This mm-hmm. one, I think we're going to do actually a similar thing to what I did for the football being banned or the contact sports being banned one, which is that it's, um, it's sort of like a Ken Burns style documentary, but about like now. So it's sort of like, you know, <laughs> we used to live in a world where like gender was the most important thing. And we dressed our boys in blue and our girls in pink. And like we had toy aisles that had like, you know, boys and like that, like kind of setting the stage, describing now and then kind of nodding to the fact that now we don't have that anymore. We don't care anymore. So mm-hmm. that's the setup. And then I'll kind of and then I, I go, we sort of come back and we talk to experts. So that's sort of the whole how the whole thing works. Um, it's very fun because it lets me explore weird ideas and, and futures that um don't often get onto like futurist quote unquote um, stuff. So, so it's fun. Um, so that's kind of the setup just so you kind of are know like the context in which this whole thing is happening. <laughs> okay. That's always helpful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, it does mean that I end up asking a lot of weird questions and ask people to speculate a lot, um, which isn't usually a problem when I interview science fiction authors, but can sometimes be a problem <laughs> when I interview scientists. <laughs> yes. So that's actually, I love having authors on because many of them have already thought about this kind of extensively about like, what, you know, like what would a world be like in which this is the case? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's easier, I think for, for writers to kind of, um, just like yeah guess guess at things scientists sometimes have a hard time doing that um so that all that aside uh let's start maybe with um I'm really interested and you you talk in this post that about sort of the decision making process that you went through on trying to figure out which pronoun to use when referring to people from the main character's perspective in ancillary justice and I'm wondering if you could walk me through that because like how did you come to decide that you were going to use she instead of, you know, some of the other options out there? Um, well, basically, I, as I said in the post, I wanted to write a society that didn't care about gender. Uh, and while it's there are uh, existing languages that don't use gendered pronouns but still have uh, more or less strong gender roles, so it's not like pronouns determine that kind of thing. At the same time, by using pronouns in the way that we ordinarily use them, it implies a whole lot, especially to a native English speaker, about those assumptions and roles. And so I was thinking fairly early on of how I was going to handle that. Um, And... The process was basically kind of messy, uh, as a lot of, I think a lot of writers have fairly a messy process around things like this, uh, where at first I said, well, I'll write a story and I'll use all he and just say nobody cares about gender. But that 
really didn't get across what I wanted to get across because it didn't seem like a story where nobody cared about gender. It seemed like a story that was populated entirely by men. Um, at the time, I had not read Ursula Le Guin's The Left Hand of Darkness. Uh, later on, I read it and uh, saw that she had made a similar choice. Uh, and I had I knew that she was unhappy with that choice later on, but I can completely see why she made the choice that she did. Um, and I thought for a while about using other pronouns and just kind of mused. And then I said, well, what if I use she? Uh, what will that do? How will that be different from using he for everybody? And I said, well, let me try it. Uh, and at first, the effect was very weird and sort of almost disturbing. And I kept on doing it because a lot of times when you're not used to something, it seems weird. And the more I did it, the happier I was with it. Yeah, I remember reading the book the first time I realized that it wasn't just a bunch of female characters. I was like, what? <laughs> I think a lot of people have that moment of like, oh, you know, because I, but I was like, I'm happy to have a book full of female characters. That's fine with me. Like, right. you know, but, but it was really interesting. It makes this sort of weird shift. And I did, I mean, even, you know, I started thinking like, oh, like what assumptions have I been making about characters, assuming that they're female and then kind of finding out later that they're not or that like, you know, I, I had, I had all these ideas about what they were, were like just because I thought they were women as opposed to, to men. And, and that was really an interesting moment in the book for me, at least when I, and actually I, we, I read this book in my book club. Um, and we, we talked about this a lot, that moment where like you realize that they're not, it's not that they're all women. It's that just, it's just using the same pronoun, using the she pronoun. It's been interesting watching people talk about it because, of course, with social media, I can see people have conversations. And there's a, a character in the second book who uh, I've seen a couple of people say, at first I assumed she was a woman and I thought she was just kind of a stereotypical mean girl. And then it occurred to me she might be a guy and suddenly she seemed really horrible and abusive. And I was like, isn't that interesting? That's a really interesting observation, uh, the way that we frame particular behaviors so differently, even when the same behaviors depending on what we assume about that person's gender yeah one of the um one of the the people i interview meredith uh the other people who's going to be on this episode she actually grew up without gendered pronouns um she grew up speaking in the philippines um oh. and it was really she she's actually written a really interesting post about it because um as a transgender person that like you know there's there's a whole other set of thoughts when it comes to like you know pronouns they're very important and um but she, growing up without them she she and she writes it much better than i can sort of explain i can i'll send you the post that she wrote um it's really fascinating because she talks a lot about how when you grow up without gendered pronouns and then you move to a place or to a language that has them and that finds them important it definitely changes the way that you think about yourself and other people and sort of like what's important and all that and she she has this really great piece about it um, that I thought was really fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I Language, I, I'm not a big proponent of uh, what's it called, the Saper-Whorf theory, where, you know, you can only think in ways that your language allows. But at the same time, the way that you can frame things with a language really influences the way that you think about things. And uh, in a lot of ways, uh, if you don't think about it and you're not aware of it doing it, you never see it. It's like a filter over reality that you don't know is there. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, the, the interesting thing, I mean, there's aside from just the pronouns, I mean, the, this lens through which ancillary justice happens, that character is just so interesting anyway, because it's like, you know, multiple bodies, one body perspective, like how do you, you know, it, there's a lot of sort of like mind bending thoughts about like, you know, who, personhood or even just like what 
a person is kind of. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, there's this passage that she or that you you have in there about seeing people um, and, and encountering people who do care about gender. And, and I'm wondering how you wrote those scenes, because there are moments, right, where there's this awkwardness where she has to kind of guess uh, at the gender of the person and and. Meredith actually said that, that she felt like that when she started learning English, where she was like, not quite sure, like how mm -hmm. to, like what to do. And I wonder, like, when you started writing those scenes, did you always know that was going to be kind of a point of awkwardness or did that kind of come naturally? That was the thing that, um, what I wasn't aware of, I discovered after the book was published, um, that actually folks who speak languages, whose native languages don't use gendered pronouns, even when they don't have trouble telling genders apart, uh, often will choose the wrong pronoun. Uh, and when I heard that, and I thought, oh, what? I got that right. Uh, I was coming at it from the angle of, if we assume that, uh, I was assuming, not that gender is 100% socially constructed, although I think to a certain extent some of it is, but the signifiers of it very often are. And a lot of times when we look at a person, we're not, we're not looking at their genitals. I mean, we don't walk around looking in strangers' pants. Um, we're looking at the clothes they're wearing and their hairstyle and maybe the way they're taking up space and maybe even the color of clothes that they're wearing uh, and making assumptions based on that where we assume that we're just looking at their biology, which mostly we can't see. And I thought, well, if that's the case, if you were going to some place where you didn't know what the cues were, you would have trouble. And add on top of that, that you're not used to automatic automatically making that assignment. That's something that uh, in our culture we do without even thinking about it. Uh, but if you're not used to doing that, you would have to stop and think and then parse all the different cues. And I also... Um, a lot of those cues aren't as straightforward as we say they are. Like you say, oh, well, long hair means a woman, right? Except walk down the street. Everybody you meet with long hair is not going to be a woman. Or a skirt, right? You'd think a skirt is pretty reliable. But, you know, my surname is Scottish. Um, <laughs> and so you can't say anybody in a skirt. Or the Pope, right? Uh, you say, oh, well, the Pope must be a woman. No, because she's wearing a dress, right? Well, that those aren't reliable indicators. So a lot of the things that we think of as hard and fast and it's really easy to explain and figure out who's masculine and who's feminine in our culture is really not that simple. And so I was sort of working logically from that standpoint, and I was really gratified that it turned out to sort of match at least some of the real-world experience of people who are used to speaking languages that don't differentiate gender. Yeah. Are you surprised at how, because I feel like the, there are so many other things that happen in the, in the book and in the series. Like it's, it's like, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of things. Um, but I feel like a lot of the reviews that I read of the book and as I was reading just to talk to you now, I feel like so many of them really picked up on this gender thing. Were you surprised at how, how interested people were in that element of the story? In some ways I was and in some ways not. Um, I had assumed from the get-go, and I had been told this by people who I knew, that uh, that the unconventional pronoun use would make the book more or less unsalable. And uh, I decided to go ahead anyway, because why am I spending all this time writing if I'm not writing what I want? Um, and so on the one hand, it didn't surprise me that that was very attention-getting. On the other hand, it's not really a central part of the book. It's it's a little piece of world-building. It's a little bit of character. Uh, and it does kind of astonish me the number of people who they, they talk about the book as though that's all that it's about. 
Although I, I also must admit, many of the people who talk about it as though all that's all that's about haven't actually read the book. Most of the people <laughs> who have read the book then go on to say, well, it also does all these other things. But boy, you can't miss this gender thing. And so I feel kind of ambivalent about that, like I said, because on the one hand, I totally understand why it gets so much attention. On the other hand, it's not really a central feature of the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right, like we we talked a lot about it in the book club, even though like you know, it is, right? Like, there's so many other things that happen. It's like, there's so much else to talk about. Um, but I thought that was, it was interesting. I mean, my, the book club that I'm in is really, I think, fascinating because it's half people who are, like, very, like, old sci-fi canon kind of, like, the Heinlein fans. Um, and then it's half people who don't read sci-fi really at all, and they just join this book club because it's, like, friends. So the reactions to different books are really fascinating. Um, like, we'll read stuff that isn't sort of hard sci-fi or isn't even you know, it's a little bit out of like the, the sort of space opera like world, you know, we read, um, who fears death by Nettie Okorafor. And, oh and, yeah. And some people were like, this isn't science fiction. And I was like, well, like, <laughs> yes, there are not spaceships in it. <laughs> like, um, but it's, so it's always really interesting to like, to listen to what people pick up on and the people who are not, were not sci-fi people didn't, re they, not that they didn't care, but like they didn't, the gender thing didn't really you know, it wasn't a huge part of the book fan. They want to talk about other things, but the sci-fi people really wanted to talk about the gender thing, which I think is really interesting because it maybe reflects like what they're used to in, in the sci-fi world. super interesting. That is super interesting. And it says so, I mean, I grew up reading sci-fi. I've been reading sci-fi since I could read basically. And it is stereotypically a very sort of masculine oriented uh, genre, except it isn't really, right? There's a long history of women reading and writing in it. Um, but that is, that's really super interesting of uh, uh, what, because that does speak to what the expectations are, doesn't it? Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, I found it so, like, so fascinating because um, I think also the book we had read the the month before, I think was Heinlein. I think it was The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, Harsh Mistress which I hate so much. <laughs> but uh, I was like, it was, you know, we had just read a bunch of like, uh, you know, 70s, 60s and 70s feminist sci-fi, which is like very intensely like, let's murder all the men and then oh, the utopia. Yeah. And I think we like threw the dudes a bone. We're like, right, we can read some Heinlein now. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, um, I mean, so in, in the context of like this, you know, you talk about this as being something that was like an element of world building where you're trying to set up a world in, that is a certain way. And, and you know, the, the idea of world building is, is very interesting to me in the context of the podcast, right? Because that's kind of what I'm trying to do every week, although I don't have a lot of space to do it in. Um, so I kind of set it up very quickly. But I'm when you think about a world that in in which there's very little uh, emphasis put on gender, like what what like has to happen for that to be the case? And like, is it so different from the world? Like it's, for me, it's really hard to imagine because everything around us is gendered in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if you have a thought, thoughts about like what that world looks like, or, I mean, I'm sure you do because that's, you know, the, the premise of, of science fiction. But uh, I guess I, I'm wondering if like, if we were living in a world in which gender just wasn't important to people or wasn't the most important to people, what would that look like? That's, yeah, in some ways it would probably look really similar to the world we're in now, except uh, it would seem to me uh, we would there would certainly not be gendered 
uh, gendered toy store sections, and uh, certainly not the the intense social the socialization pressure on little kids to do boy things or do girl things. Um, but I think we would also see things like uh, really effective and inexpensive birth control widely available, and we would see things like childcare being a higher priority because right now I think uh, those issues are considered women's issues and uh, women's careers and taking care of children are considered to be something that, you know, women take care of and aren't part of doing business uh, and so don't get the kind of support. But if, if childcare isn't a gender thing, if all of those things that are considered women's issues now are considered just things that you need to think about to live, uh, I think you'll get a lot more basic support for a lot of those things. So I think uh, almost certainly the ways that we take care of children would change. There would be a lot more widely available childcare. There would be a lot more support for childcare. There would be a lot more widely available birth control. But in a lot of other ways, I'm not sure how much would have to change uh, beyond that really most things could be the same. I don't know if, I don't know if really it's important to know what gender anybody is right now to do any number of jobs and those things, why would they change if you didn't care what the gender was of the people doing them, for instance. Um, maybe marriage laws and family structures might change a lot because right now we're assuming that a family is uh, two parents. Only just recently we're beginning to acknowledge that, yeah, actually two dads or two moms would make a family, um, and that two dads or two moms might have kids, as they have for a very long time, but at least now it's legally recognized. Um, and so very possibly the ideas about what a marriage is or about what a family is might change a lot. Um, I guess you would have to think differently about uh, surnames and what it means to be descended from somebody or to have a particular name or what a family name means. I think that would definitely have to change a lot. Um, that's kind of interesting, actually. You'd almost have to have a whole different structure for naming people. Because right now, of course, we assume that your male parent gives you the surname, right? And that would have to completely change. Yeah. I always wonder that when I see people who have like hyphenated last names and I'm sort of like, how far does that go? Right. Like if you have a hyphenated last name, does your kid have a hyphenated last name? And then if they get married, do they then also hyphenate? And are we back to like, you know, colonial Spain where everyone has like 19 parts to their name, <laughs> which like it's fine. It's just with, like a lot of names. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's got to be some solution. Um, Actually, my kids are hyphenated and I'm leaving it to them to figure out what they want to do. <laughs> your problem now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. My, I have a, a bunch of friends who have combined last names with their spouse, which I kind of like. Yeah, yeah. And there needs to be some. I know uh, in my books, of course, uh, I'm assuming perfectly uh, available and perfectly efficient birth control. Uh, and a kid doesn't necessarily come by accident. And you determine in advance what family name the kid has and what family the kid belongs to by contract. Uh, but in I don't know if that would be a workable solution here in this everyday world. I, that would be a huge social shift, wouldn't it? Because there are so many assumptions surrounding what it means when you get married and have kids and what it means to be related to somebody. That would have to be a pretty big shift. Yeah, one of the first episodes we did was um, a world in which uh, artificial wombs are real, so women don't have to physically carry a baby. They can, you know, off offload that to uh, a space, a technology the piece of you know technology bring and, it on yeah and right well i'm sure and like yeah i mean not having ever been pregnant i can imagine that that would be uh, useful or like you know welcome um but uh 
one thing that we do talk a lot of, a lot in that episode about is like family structure, right? Like because now, I mean, you know, even now without an artificial womb, you know, a family is not determined by like what comes out of your vagina. But like it is, people think of it as like, oh, the mom gives birth to the baby, and you know, then there's the dad, and that like that's how that works. And if you have if anybody can just sort of like rent a, a womb space and like have a baby that changes sort of fundamentally what a family looks like and sort of what parenthood is and who becomes a parent and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes, it absolutely does. Um, I think that some of the resistance to unconventional family structures now has to do with that, even though, like you say, um, it's already the case that your mother may or may not be a person who gave birth to you. Uh, and everybody knows that everybody just sort of works on the assumption that, you know, the person who gave birth to you is your mother. Uh, I, well, my own mother was adopted, actually. And every now and then somebody would say to me, yeah, but do you know who your real grandparents are? And that that always blew my mind. And then I would get angry because actually those were my real grandparents, you know. Um, but the assumption is so strong that there's a particular sort of biological relationship uh, where even now that doesn't hold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to one thing that I'm interested in is is the ways in which culture changes and. Um, I, and, 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 you know, I too am not totally sold on the whole, like you can only, you know, that language determines the way that you can think, but it does impact the way people think. Um, and, and I think that, you know, part of what, you know, we see now, even with sort of the, the LGBT community and sort of the sort of visibility that they're getting, um, that has been repressed for so long is that people are choosing their own pronouns and, and they're sort of saying, I want to be called they, I want to be called he, I want to be called she. And that like forcing other people to do that does kind of force you to, if not accept, at least admit that they are, you know, they have people with agency that they're like, they uh -huh. exist, you know, all of this stuff. And so I'm curious, like, I mean, in terms of steps towards a culture in which gender is not so important, I mean, is that, I, I, that feels like an important step to me, at least if, you know, not, not to say that it's going to erase all of our problems or like erase all of the genderedness that we have, but the, the idea that you could choose which gendered pronoun that you prefer feels like a powerful choice to be able to make just sort of as a small step towards that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've actually been uh, kind of pleased to see more and more people speak up and say, this is my pronoun. Uh, even if it's to say, you know, I'm cis and my pronoun is she, uh, that sort of destabilizes the assumption that, well, of course, if you have this particular kind of body, you're a she. And if you have this particular kind of body, you're a he. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to see that being destabilized because because of course it's not true. It hasn't ever been true, but everybody always assumes that it's true and forces everybody to behave as though it's true. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I, I was thinking about in terms of the book, and I feel like I also read this in maybe a review or something that somebody asked this question, which is that you have this, um, this very dominant culture, right? You have this sort of, um, the the Radkai who, who are, is that the language or is that the name of the culture? I Yes. It's, Yes. Both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. I, I'm never quite sure. Um, so, and they're very dominant, right? They come in and they, and they control things and they kind of are, are sort of universal or I guess, you know, they're, they're powerful when they come into a place and they, and maybe people start speaking red Kai, like, do they, does that change, does that change the gender ideas of the like culture or planet that they've taken over? 
I have been asked that before, um, and I think the answer would be that it's complicated. I would imagine that what happens is most of the folks who are going to try to assimilate do their best to at least imitate Rajai ideas about gender or the lack thereof. Um, but also, almost certainly, some of the ideas are going to hang on from previously. I think somebody asked me, you know, what are if if somebody grows up in a, a culture where there is a binary gender and the Rajai come in and take over, do do they then forget about that? What do they think about their gender? I'm like, they probably have a sort of a double view and probably going down the line, that culture has a sort of an undercurrent of other assumptions about gender, uh, along with the sort of uh, sort of frosting on top of, of Racha ideas about gender not being important. Kind of like, you know, hair color is not important to us, but there are, for instance, in some cultures, cultural ideas about blondes or about redheads. And we can say, oh, yes, of course, we know that's not important. It's not important in our culture. And yet you'll still see see people say things about redheads fiery temper or blondes being stupid or, you know. Um, so I would imagine, and it's probably even more pronounced in a situation where you've got a dominant culture coming in and sort of trying to stamp out those assumptions or encouraging people to assimilate and those other ideas just sort of carry on underneath as sort of an undercurrent. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I'm always interested in, I, I write a lot about assistive technology. Um, and one of the things that comes up all the time in terms of making things more accessible is that it doesn't just benefit the people who are disabled. So um, like wheelchair ramps are good for people with wheelchairs, but they're also great for people with rolly bags and skateboarders mm -hmm. and like, all this other stuff. So, you know, there, and, and not to say that like we shouldn't do things for a group of people if it only benefits them. Like there are groups that you know, we should accommodate like that. But, but um, I think that's there's always an interesting kind of way of saying like, hey, yeah, you might think this is only for these people, but actually it just makes a space better in general. And I'm wondering in terms of and we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but in terms of, you know, decentralizing gender and sort of making it not something that, you know, you're hammered is hammered into you from, you know, very, very little. Um, I mean, there will be, I'm sure, benefits to like cis straight people who, you know, might think like, I'm fine with my, you know, assigned gender. I don't feel like it's, you know, there's any mismatch, whatever. I don't care about this. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts about like things that would be good for everybody, not just people who right now kind of struggle with these sort of binary categories. Oh, well, it seems to be the most obvious would be the more toxic aspects of our construction of masculinity. Um, I was talking to when my kids were little, I was talking to another mom who had boys and she said she felt really bad for them because they loved beautiful, sparkly things. Um, but they didn't get to do the thing where they could put on the sparkly tutu and put on the sparkly princess tiara because they would get made fun of for that, and boys don't do that. But girls are free to indulge their love of sparkly, pink, shiny, you know, silky, fancy stuff. Um, and that seems really minor, but that's the kind of thing that kind of builds up over time. You have to kind of swallow those things back and uh, pretend you're not interested in them. Or similarly, uh, the narrative about how guys aren't interested in romance or guys aren't interested in families or they have to be tricked or trapped somehow into marriage. But in fact... Pretty much every guy I've ever met, uh, maybe not all, because not not all people are interested in family or marriage or romance, but quite a lot of guys are desperately interested in love and romance and families and children and uh, want very much to be in a fulfilling relationship with someone else. And so 
in some ways, it's really harmful and toxic to have to walk around pretending you don't care about those things or to to sort of cut those things out of your life for fear of being, you know, sort of banished to the to the far reaches of what's acceptable. Um, and I mean, isn't life a lot more comfortable when you can just say, yeah, I wanted to wear a pink sparkly shirt to work today. What's your problem with that? You know, uh, that seems minor, but all those little things, they kind of build up and they kind of eat at you. Yeah. One of the things that I always think about when I think about this future is, is that, um, and I never know how to phrase this question, so I'm going to ramble a little bit, but, um, there is a very, there's a power in identifying with a group, right? In terms of advocacy, in terms of, you know, identity and, and, you know, people always talk about, oh, identity politics, whatever, whatever. But like, you know, there's a, there's a very real power for people, especially people who are maybe trans people or part of another marginalized group who can like band together and say, Hey, we're being treated unfairly and, and we exist and we, we should be treated better or we should get these protections or we, you know, we should be paid the same amount of money. We shouldn't be discriminated against all that stuff. And so in order to me, it seems like, sorry, I'm just going to cough. <coughs> I will too. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, in order to make sort of the removal of, of or sort of the de dethroned gender as like kind of one of the huge things that we think about all the time. Like you, you want to make sure you don't do that in a, in a, in a time when that would remove, you know, a sort of needed escape or power from people. So, I mean, you know, we talk about, Oh, I don't you know, like all lives matter. I don't see race, but like that's, that sort of ignores the fact that there's a whole system mm -hmm. of oppression that's happening. So I'm curious. Cause I think that there are some people who might think like, Oh yeah, I already don't see gender. It doesn't matter to me, but like you, we have to kind of put this in the context of the fact that things are not all equal. Things are not all the same. We don't treat everybody the same way. And so I wonder like in terms of, you know, making gender unimportant, I think it feels like to me before we remove that or before we can pull that away, we kind of have to make it such that those systems aren't quite as powerful or the, the sort of systems of, of oppression and sort of the systems of um, marginalizing certain groups don't exist before we can say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, absolutely. And for exactly the reasons that you said, uh, if you say, oh, well, gender, and in fact, as you point out, there are people who do this right now today. They say, oh, there is no sexism. There's no, gender's not important. I just want good stories. I only read books that I think are great stories and I don't care about the gender of the author. But as soon as you do that, uh, what that means is you've, you've made yourself unable to see when your choices are being guided by uh, assumptions and social forces that you can't acknowledge without acknowledging the fact that, in, yeah, actually, you do see gender. Uh, and yeah, absolutely. If uh, somewhere to, where someone were to come in and impose that situation on our culture today, for instance, and say, now, gender will not be important to you right now. And going forward, nobody pays attention to gender. What would happen would be uh, just the same discrimination, I'm convinced, that goes on now, only you could not at all talk about it. Because as soon as you did, the our alien overlords would say, no, 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 there's no difference. You can't talk about that. Um, I think the whole uh, all lives matter thing is a really good model of exactly that kind of thing, because that's pretty much what's going on there. Uh, it starts out with, oh, we shouldn't discriminate uh, between races, which on the surface sounds like a good thing to say. But what that ends up doing is, is not letting you have the language to talk about what's actually going on. So you're absolutely right. And there is a sense in which uh, this is something that's not my idea. I saw somebody else say this, uh, and I hadn't thought about it before. But someone who is trans, 
who lives in Rajai society, what situation are they in? And I thought that's really interesting because if you're not seeing gender as important, but you're struggling somehow with your body and your sense of it, do you have the language and the resources to deal with that in a society that is not going to talk about gender in maybe a way that's going to help you? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it would be good or bad to be trans in Rajai society, but you're absolutely right. Uh, if you just say, we don't see this, it's not important, that will be terrible unless you've addressed the systemic issues that cause the discrimination to begin with. That's a really interesting question of what a trans person in Rajai society would would be like or what, how they would feel. Uh, that's a great question. Um, mm -hmm. That was what I thought when I saw somebody raise it on a blog somewhere and I thought, ooh, ooh, I had not thought about that. That's a really interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's another thing that I always wonder about when, when it comes to this, where, like, if we had this world where, um, say, uh, like, I keep coming back to the analogy of handedness, where it's like, you know, some percent of the population is left-handed. It's not a big percentage, and they still actually are, you know, they can't use scissors. Like, they can't, you know, there's certain <laughs> things that are disadvantages, but they're, it's not, like, so central that, um, you know, it, it really impinges the, on their, you know, life and freedom and ability to marry and get get a job and all that stuff. Um, and, and I wonder w if we had a world where we didn't really care that much about gender, my, my general question would be like, do we still kind of automatically self-sort into like vague male-female categories, man-woman, like, you know, is there still things that are considered like more feminine or more masculine, or does it become kind of just a a total spectrum, which I mean, it is in a lot of ways, there are people who sort of float between and there's lots of uh, people, I think, who who embody sort of various aspects of the in-betweens of, of what we consider to be male and female or, you know, masculine and feminine. Um, but I think a, like the, a lot of people still sort of find themselves in sort of more of the polls. And I wonder that if we don't care, do people stay on those polls or do they kind of start to like just become much more of a, a gradient where like everybody kind of finds a place somewhere in between that they feel comfortable with? I would I would go for the gradient. Um, and my go to metaphor isn't handedness as much as it is hair color, because uh, we talk about people as though you're a blonde or you're a brunette. Right. But not only are there also redheads. There are also all these gradations in what blonde and brunette mean. Um, and we can say blonde or brunette, but if you actually look at people's hair, it's they're just very, very different. And some people will say, oh, well, I'm a blonde and identify that way. But most people just really don't care. Um, and I suspect that gender would be something like that, which would be, oh, well, um, that's one thing about that person is they've got uh, they've got red hair and uh, they kind of like these things and these other things. Um, but I'm not sure that without the social pressure to sort in particular ways that the sorting would happen. There's there isn't much social pressure around sorting blonde or brunette. But even though we recognize to some extent some kind of a, of a sorting that way, but it has almost no social consequences, except in certain circumstances, um, the blonde, the blondes are dumb thing, which needs to stop um, the the making fun of gingers in various places. Uh, but I suspect it would be a lot more like that, where maybe it would be something you would recognize about someone physically, but it would have almost no consequences for the rest of their life. Because we don't say things like, oh, you're blonde, so you like to play baseball. Yeah. You know? And, you know, you could have pink hair and then it would be, it'd be fine. Yeah. And it's really easy to have pink hair even now. And, you know, imagine a society where you could have pink gender, whatever that would be. I don't know what that would be, but, you know, where you could 
could just do whatever seemed the best for you at that time in your life, that would be really super awesome. Yeah, yeah, I had blue hair recently, um, and it's it's fun. It's fun to have different colored hair. Uh, yeah. It does, I will, there is still, I mean, and this is something that I talk to, I have a friend who's got, um, she always has crazy colored hair, and she talks a little bit about how she never changes her hair color if she's looking for a job, because she wants to, <laughs> she wants people mm-hmm. to think of her as professional, so there's still some of that, but I mean, I think that's going away more and more. Well, um, sort of, I, uh, I'm used to, you know, I hang out with science fiction writers, right? And so I'm used to seeing people <laughs> with pink hair or blue hair. But uh, was it a year ago, two years ago, I was riding the train uh, down to San Antonio to go to a Worldcon. And I was in the dining car and some other folks were sitting at the table with me. And I looked out the window and there was a woman with beautiful magenta hair. And the people sitting across the table from me look out the window and go, oh my gosh, like they'd seen the most shocking, weird thing. Isn't that strange? And I was like, oh, I really live in a different world from you don't I yeah yeah I think I mean I live in New York City so I I'm exposed to just like a huge variety of people right and and I love that that's like one of the great things about living in New York City Mm -hmm. Um, but it also makes it easy for me to forget that a lot of people in the United States don't ever meet you know, a trans person don't ever meet, you know, even a, a non person. Or don't know person. they do. Yeah. Right. Or right. Or don't know they do. Yeah. Um, or, and don't, don't see people who are dressing like, you know, I see men wearing dresses on the street all the time. Like, you know, I just, this is like a thing that people in New York, like they're, I think it's much more accepted to do um, sort of like fashion. There's so much like, especially during fashion week, there's always people wearing clothes where I'm like, what, like what's going on? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they're wearing like all these clothes that I was just like, you know, in ways that I would just never imagine. Um, and I'm sort of used to that. Um, but it's, it, I was talking to Meredith and she was saying, you know, I think the the most recent numbers are that, um, I think it's 17% of Americans personally know a trans person or, you know, know of a trans person. Um, they probably know more that they don't realize. Um, and, and that's like a bigger number than I honestly would have guessed if I had to guess, but it's still a very small number. Yes. Um, and And it's it's so easy to assume that your surroundings equals average that, you know, the, the, the kind of people you hang around with more or less would, would transfer out to what most people are like. And in fact, different communities all over the country are really quite different. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even, even in terms of like current gender ideas, I mean, um, like in, I think where I live in New York, there, uh, there's a huge number of different cultures here and, and different people have different ideas about what masculinity is like and what, you know, what quote unquote real men do and what women are supposed to do and, and all of this stuff. Um, we just got a dog recently. Um, and she's kind of, she's not huge. She's like 55 pounds. Um, but when I walk her, I, men will tell me you shouldn't have that dog. That dog's too big. And my, my, what? Partner, my partner walks her nobody ever says a word to him and I'm like first of all she's under control like she's not like a crazy dog um but she's black and she people see a like a you know medium to large black dog and they think that I can't possibly handle her and but they never say anything to him you know um and so there's different ideas I think about like what even like within my you know 10 block radius like what a woman can and can't do yeah well and that's kind of why you know those assumptions, people say, oh, well, it just, that's how women are. That's how men are. Well, obviously I've seen people say, well, it's just stupid that Brett can't automatically tell people's genders because it's just completely obvious. How can she be super smart and not see that? Because it's just so obvious. And I'm like, well, 
that just so obvious, it's obvious to the people you meet walking down the street that women can't handle a dog on a leash who's, you know, of a sufficient size. But in fact, they're wrong about that. You go to another community and the ideas about what it's obvious women are like or can do are just very different. But we sort of assume that it's all the same, that it's all sort of one default uh, baseline. Yeah. Also, the idea that it's really obvious who is a man and who's a woman is, is weird to me because I, I feel like everyone has encountered a moment where they don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes it is a little bit like, oh, I, I don't actually know. And because to us, I think gender is so ingrained in like how you think about a person, it can sometimes be kind of like, oh, like I, I can't die. I don't like, you know, like your brain is like, how do I process this information? Um, yeah. And- yeah. Because you don't even know how to talk about somebody. Yeah, I had or a... even when I had uh, when I when my children were very tiny and I would take them to the grocery store. Uh, if you ever walk through a grocery store with a baby, um, it's very weird. I never put like bows and stuff on my daughter, say, or football stuff on my son or whatever. And so people would stop and they go, oh, the baby's so adorable. And they would want to, you know, go coochie coo or whatever, you know, to coo at the baby. And they would stop and look at me and say, I'm sorry, is this a boy or a girl? Because they literally did not know how to talk to the baby unless they knew whether the baby was a boy or a girl. Right, because girls are, are beautiful and adorable and boys are handsome and yeah. And right. rough and strong. Yeah. And, yeah. And then if they would guess and then realize they'd guessed wrong, they would be very, very apologetic, like they'd just run over my dog or something. And I'd be like, the baby doesn't care. And I don't have any idea what you're saying. (laughs) The only I mean, you can't really tell a baby's gender. There's no way to do it, you know, and the the traditional societally approved way of doing it would be something I would frown upon if you tried to do that to my baby in the grocery store. So um, (laughs) so so what's the big deal? But it was that was a that was a really revelatory experience to me, uh, the way that people don't even know how to interact with you unless they can slot you into one of two slots. Yeah, I had a a really mortifying moment that I think about all the time. I play a lot of soccer, a lot of intramural soccer, and there are rules usually about how many women you have to have on the field at a time. Um, Usually it's two or three or whatever, just to make sure that it's not, they're not like stacking the team. Um, And I was playing and there was a person on the other team who, to my eye, you know, presented as male, but was playing as a, as a female player. And I like made a big, I was like, they don't have enough women on the field. And I like kind of made a big deal about it. Cause I like teams do try to cheat. Mm-hmm. And then I felt so terrible because like, I, and I just like, I like who needs like, you know, random asshole me, like making this a big deal. I'm sure like her life all the time, like has to deal with like justifying all that stuff. Uh, I, and I, I felt, I still, I think about it all the time. I felt so terrible about it. Um, and she was really nice about it. I apologized and, and everything. But yeah, it's like you make these assumptions. And then I was like, no, like they don't have enough female players on the field. And then it was like, the, the ref was like, yes, they do stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I like could, I just like, couldn't in that moment, I like couldn't get my brain to like see it until it was already like, Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I've just made this really terrible. Uh, yeah, that's that's hard. That's yeah, because it's so automatic. And I mean, that's not an excuse. Yeah. But on the other hand, that's how it happens. And it's that's I think it's important to be aware of that. So then when it does happen, you can say, oh, oh, I made a mistake and I'm going to try and do better in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just, you know, it's that you're trained, you know, from very little that that's 
how you identify, right? Like that's how you pick if someone is one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I wonder, like, um, I'm trying to think of if there's anything else that I specifically want to ask. Cause I mean, I think that the challenge that I've had with this episode so far is just being in any way specific about this future, because there's so many ways that this might or might not happen. Um, and there's so, it's just, it's like so complicated as to whether or not it would happen or if it did what it would look like. Um, so I feel like a lot of the things I've been grasping for is just like, what sort of specific thing would have, like, would it look like or what happened? And, and the thing that I've kind of settled on a little bit is like on various forms, when you fill out forms, they just like stop asking. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you bet. Because why would you ask? There's forms like a driver's license or a passport. They ask you your hair color, but no place else do they ask you your hair color. Yeah. Right. I mean, because who cares? Yeah. And even like traveling, like going through the TSA and like, do you, you know, do you have a female pat down or a male pat down? Like, doesn't matter anymore. Well, or and to be honest, I'm not sure why the TSA needs to know except for which would you prefer for a pat down? Right. Which would be a simple matter of saying, what's your preference? Um, what, what do you feel more comfortable with? Uh, why does the TSA need to bother themselves about your gender at all? Um, I gather that's a problem for trans folks who are traveling and it should not be a problem because that's just not something anybody needs to worry themselves about when it's just a question of making sure you're not carrying a bomb. Right. Yeah. There was a case recently, I think of a trans woman who, um, who was detained at the T by the TSA because, uh, in the body scanner, her, you know, genitalia did not match what they thought it should um and that she missed her flight it was this whole really and what does that have to do with anything i mean that's that's nobody's business but hers right yeah right i mean what are they going to be looking at at anything else under my clothes when i (laughs) yeah what the heck you know that's that's ridiculous that needs to stop now frankly but yeah, good luck getting that stopped now. But we can we can hope we can make as much noise as we can about it. Yeah, yeah, and that's the the, the I guess one last thing I wanted to kind of ask you is that like to me this seems just so far away <laughs> because we're so ingrained in in our in especially the U.S. I think uh, with you know we mentioned like the toys and like even the baby like how do you talk to a baby like things that you know and and Lori sort of rattled off this like huge list you know like the way that you sit is gendered right like mm-hmm. women sit a certain way and men sit a different way and that is like totally non-biological right there's nothing that has you know with my legs and hips that are different from a man's legs and hips like you know and she points out that you know it used to be you know in in her she was like in my dad's generation men sat with their legs crossed men crossed their legs that was like the way they sat and now you know men sit with their legs like spread wide open and like taking uh-huh. up four different seats and so that's like a thing that changes over time and with culture so it's, it's like clearly not a biological thing exactly um, so to me it sort of seems like we are so far from decentralizing gender in any way that it's almost hard to imagine this happening but maybe i'm just pessimistic i don't know what do you think i think it if it is in the future it's a long long way in the future because it is so very ingrained um i think things that would help would be things like say artificial wombs uh that would really make it a lot easier uh other things that would help would be as i said uh the better childcare and better support for uh people taking care of their families uh just generally 
um, if you weren't socially and commercially penalized for being a woman or being a woman with children, it would make it much, much easier to disregard many of the other things. But those two things feed into each other, don't they? It, it's almost like a, a sort of, you know, you can't get rid of the one because of the other necessarily. So you have to somehow get into the system and and break it up somehow. But if you could do those things, that would probably help. Um, but the weight of history and assumptions and the kinds of things people do and say without thinking about it make it really hard to affect change in something that is such a basic part of the way that we categorize people and view the world. It would be really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's hard for me to even imagine. <laughs> I mean, I would love it. It would be great. Mm -hmm. um, but it is really hard for me to imagine not only just convincing people that it's not important, but also writing a lot of the structural issues before we sort of remove remove the. Yeah, I can imagine there is a certain set of like people who might even today say like, oh, yeah, we should just it doesn't matter. Like gender is unimportant. But like, oh, there's plenty of. People yeah, that. right. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, your the Hugo Awards have been. Um, Oh. with those people <laughs> um but right they're clearly they they're either willfully ignoring or you know maliciously ignoring bless uh, their hearts yeah exactly um reality uh but yeah so those are sort of all the things i kind of wanted to ask you about this future i mean is there anything else that comes to mind for you when you think about this like from your side of the world I don't think so. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to be possible to, quote unquote, eradicate gender. I've been accused of wanting to eradicate gender, um, once again, by people who haven't actually read the book. And um, I don't think you could, because I think as much about gender as is socially constructed, and there's a lot about gender that's socially constructed, it's also really obvious that there is something going on that's not socially constructed. Um, and... So that's, ne that's not going to go away as long as people are human beings, I think. Um, but I also think that's not going to be clearly visible as long as we're always looking through that sort of deterministic binary filter and assuming gender is whatever it is our parents told us when we were little. We're never going to be able to clearly see what is actually going on with that. Yeah. Yeah, it is always a little bit tricky, right? Because, like, I mean... Not, not to say that your genitalia determine your gender, but like, you know, there are differences between people <laughs> and like, it's hard to, it's hard to talk about it without, you know, without being sort of like deterministic about it. Uh, well, it's hard to say how much of those differences are caused or I don't want to say caused by how much of those differences have to do with things that are connected to your genitalia and how much they have to do with your being pushed from very early on into a particular box because of the shape of your genitalia. And yeah, maybe some people are never going to fit in that box no matter how much they're pushed. But maybe most people aren't necessarily just like that, but they're a little easier to push into the box. Um, but you're never going to see whether that's the case or not, as long as you assume that the boxes are just the way nature made everybody. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of like, what is quote unquote natural is like very problematic. Oh, my, yeah, the whole yeah, yeah, that a lot authentic and natural. Those two words, like everything is natural. Is there anything that's not part of nature in some way? I... Yeah. Um, Lori, one of the people I talked to, she actually talks about, um, one of the big things, big things that she talked about was that more and more now actually even compared to like the seventies, 
people are using sort of the biological determinism to advance sort of civil rights for pe for pe trans people and and for people like non sort of binary people and that's really dangerous which is, is an mm -hmm. argument because she's sort of saying like even when you see the um the supreme court gay marriage decisions there's a lot of language about like this isn't a choice for them this is how they were born like all of this stuff which is like what like what like does that ma it's not like you know it shouldn't matter yeah and so there's and she sort of makes this argument um that like you like buying into that and you hear you know advocates using that like oh born this way like you know this kind of idea that like buying into that is really dangerous because then it locks you into a certain kind of thinking about what gender is and what sexuality is and what mm -hmm. you're allowed to do because you were quote unquote like born this way you can't change you know it's it's somehow innate that you can't change it yeah, and I mean, I, I know why people do that, because uh, because the starting argument is it's unnatural. Right. And then so your response is, well, but I am this way, so it's natural. But as soon as you do that, you're buying into the determin the, the determination. Uh, I, and it shouldn't matter. If, if you're born that way, okay, that's awesome. If you're not born that way and you just want to for whatever reason, that should be okay too. Um, it should not matter. You should be able to be who you are. But the problem is if you're countering a particular argument, where else are you going to go? Because if you say, if somebody says, well, that's not natural, and you say, well, but I'm going to be happier this way, that's not going to cut any ice with those folks. Um so it's, it's so I you know it's it's kind of a tough position to be in, but I think she's right. I think it's a dangerous it's a dangerous path to start walking down. Um, but then what else are you going to do? It's a it's a tough position to be in. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's I right. It's like I see why that argument's being made, but it's maybe going to bite people. I think later in terms of of the way that things get argued, especially sort of systematically and in these like you know, in the courts or like in, in these institutions that really care a lot about precedent too, where like you've laid down this line of reasoning and now you're kind of stuck with it for a while because yeah. it's really hard to go back. Um, well, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Can you do one more thing for me, which is, can you say your name and then sort of how you want to be identified for the podcast? Uh, my name is Anne Leckie and by how I want to be identified, what do you mean as to say, Basically uh, anything like, you know, science fiction author, or you could say author of ancillary justice. This is kind of like, sometimes I use them. Sometimes I summarize them myself. It's just sort of, so I have a sense of like what you want me to mention. Uh, in so identifying you. you want me to say something like I'm Ann Leckie and I'm the author of the science fiction trilogy, ancillary justice, ancillary sword and ancillary mercy. Perfect. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's always kind of an awkward question. And also I felt really, I, I talked to Meredith the other day. Thankfully she's a friend of mine. And I, after this whole interview, I asked her that. And then I was like, wait, I don't mean like what pronouns you want to be identified <laughs> with. I know that you, I know what you prefer. Like, you know, what she, I was like in the context of this conversation, this question now suddenly sounds really different. Like, uh -huh. Well, that uh, was when you asked the question and I thought, I think I know what she means. But maybe exactly. I'm going to clear that up. Yeah. Normally it's like after an interview about like some sort of like physics thing and people are like, it may, you know, it makes sense. But because of this the way that this conversation goes i i realized today that that was a, an awkward question context is so important <laughs> yeah yeah awesome well thank you so much this has been really great yeah this has been a lot of fun right, have a good one you too bye-bye bye-bye <laughs>